You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 15, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 42 through 47. If you don't have a copy of God's Word in front of you, please uh, pull out that bulletin, inside that bulletin uh, there is a uh, insert with all of today's sermon uh, notes and uh, the scripture references we want you to make sure we're reading and preaching God's word to you, so follow along with us. And then if you don't have those notes in front of you, you can go and do one of two things. You can download the YouVersion Bible app. That's the Y-O-U version Bible app. After you download it, go to the More tab, tap Events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, and click on today's sermon title, and you can download right there on your phone all the notes, quotes, and references. Uh, you're also welcome to go to our website, mtcarmeldenvers.com forward slash notes. Click on Sunday morning, a little folder will open, and you can select King Jesus Part 4. And uh, that's where we're at today. We're continuing this brief sermon series on Jesus' course to and through the cross, heading into Resurrection Sunday. This is Part 4, as I mentioned, uh, entitled King Jesus. And today's text, Mark 15, 42 through 47, I want to talk about uh, this grave digger, grave digger. Cancel culture is everywhere. The idea that a person can be canceled, that means culturally blocked from having a, pr- a prominent public platform or career, has become a polarizing topic of debate in our day. Canceling someone coincides with a familiar pattern. It kind of goes like this. The celebrity or another public figure does or says something offensive. There is a public backlash, often fueled by politically progressive social media. And then comes the calls to cancel the person. That is to effectively end their career or revoke their cultural status. Whether through boycotts of their work or disciplinary action from their employer. The second character in today's text quits his company and joins himself to the Lord Jesus Christ, who had just been crucified. This person comes out and refuses to be numbered with the unbelieving world. This bold move subjects him to the cancel culture of his day. This is the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. It's a Friday. We now term it Good Friday. Three hours remain between Jesus' death and sunset. And according to Deuteronomy 21-23, an executed criminal had to be buried before nightfall to avoid ceremonial defilement of the land. And this is intense because Passover is happening. So religiously, they don't want any criminals hung uh, past sunset. 
The Sabbath regulations, because this is a Friday, the Sabbath is on Saturday. The Sabbath regulations would not allow the work of burial after sunset. Would anyone step forward to bury this King Jesus, this comic king? This was risky because Jesus had been executed for treason. One person will identify with Jesus and every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mentions this man by name and tells us something about him. So who will identify with King Jesus in his burial? Look at Mark chapter 15, verse 42. It says this, When it was already evening, this is late Friday afternoon, because it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath. This is Friday, Good Friday. Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. And after he, Joseph, bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down, that's Jesus, and wrapped him in the linen. Then he laid Jesus in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. And then Mark always gives us this parenthetical statement about the women followers of Jesus. They're important to this story. It says, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph were watching where he was laid. Several things that I want you to write down this morning as we explore this character, the grave digger. I want you to note first just the man, Joseph. The man, Joseph. We see from other texts, Matthew, Luke, John, and then from the end of this text, the fact that uh, Joseph owned this tomb, which is a sign that he was a very rich man. And that's what I want you to write down. He was a rich man. Now here's what I want you to think about. Jesus has warned the church, right, his disciples, those who follow him, about the snares, temptations, and dangers of riches. They're not inherently evil, they're amoral, but the sinful and deceptive nature of our hearts can take riches and pervert them to say, we're okay. We're not in need of God. We deserve and earned everything we've got. And so who wants to bend the knee and surrender to this kingdom of Jesus? And Jesus has made statements before. You've probably heard them. It's hard. It's difficult for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. And I've always tried to share this with the church. I know we do comparative you know, wealth and we like to uh, relativize wealth in some ways. But I do need you to understand this. Even if you're a, a very impoverished person sitting here today in 2021, more than likely you are far richer than any Christian that has lived since the inception of the church. We are a privileged church. We are. All right? And so when we think about the snares and dangers of riches, this is not just for that top 1%. Everybody get what I'm saying? This is a temptation that all of us, because of where we find ourselves in, in time and history, have to deal with. 
And so I want you to think, I don't want you to think about Joseph as some other guy. You and I could really readily identify with Joseph. Joseph's Joseph's wealth may have made him overly cautious in identifying with Jesus. Why? He had much to lose. Just because you are rich, that doesn't make you brave. Wealth brings with it all kinds of snares and temptations. And so when one of us, especially here in America, when we repent of our sins and trust Jesus as our Savior, I've shared this with you before, it is a great mercy from God. It's a miracle because He humbled us, broke our hearts, and moved us toward Him. All of us must beware of the pride of life, the lust for rank, the desire to hoard, for these may prevent our service and in coming to the Lord. I like what Spurgeon said. This sermon today is littered with Spurgeon quotes. He just nails Joseph of Arimathea. He says, Riches puff men up and prevent their stooping from finding the pearl of great price. Jesus is more precious, he is priceless than anything this universe has. You can have all the riches in the world and you can't buy the precious blood of Jesus. You can't. And so sometimes when we sit there and we go, well, I've got my life all together, everything's well, we're not in any state of desperate dependency upon God, we won't stoop down to pick up that pearl. Joseph was a rich man and more than likely, notice this, He missed out on so much because he wouldn't outright publicly identify with Jesus until it was the very end of his life. The second thing that I want you to see about Joseph, the man, is that he was an honorable man. He was an honorable man. Notice what the text says. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Now, if you've followed any of the New Testament, the Sanhedrin is like the Jewish Supreme Court of Israel at that time. The Romans, their oppressors, let the Jews in religious and civic matters kind of rule and govern themselves up to a point. And then when it got out of hand, they would kind of relinquish control to the Romans. So I need you to understand, the man that's stepping forward to identify with Jesus is a man of high rank and influence in all of Israel. He is a part of their supreme court. Think of this, though. The tendency of honor is another thing that makes us cautious about Jesus and not enthusiastic about Jesus. It's a great grace to carry high honor. Because when there is this competing honor, and church, understand this, the the world's honor is not the same as the honor that comes from God. Generally, they are diametrically opposed. And if you want to have God's honor and the world's honor, you'll often have to make a decisive choice. Who's it going to be? And when Joseph breaks away here from the Sanhedrin, you understand the Sanhedrin condemned Jesus as a blasphemer. And he parts ways. The text actually said that he actually voiced his opinion in this council that he didn't think Jesus was a blasphemer. But that was still behind closed doors. Now you see some identity with Jesus. It's hard to maintain the world's honor and God's honor at the same time. Are you ready for what human honor is according to Spurgeon 
oh, this is the one thing I will take away from this sermon. It was completely worth reading this quote. Listen to what the world's honor is. For what is fame but the breath of men's nostrils? What is fame? I mean, think about it. People praising you, acclaiming you. What is it? It's just their breath. That's all it is. You think that breath has anything or any bearing on eternity? No. It's just breath, human breath. Poor stuff to feed a soul upon, Spurgeon says. What is in the applause of a faultless multitude? It's the truth. And how much do we just live for people? And it doesn't have to be this like incredibly you know, triumphant honor that you're receiving. But just think, when we have those tendencies in our lives going, well, what will people think? What will my family say? What will my friends say? My coworkers, my neighbors, associates. If I step out and do this and identify with Jesus, that's all it takes. And think about what we're putting up before God's honor. We're putting just people's breath. What do we know? What do we know? If honor is gained by virtue, say you do something legitimately morally good, and good people's admiration kind of you know, envelops you. They go, you did the great, a great thing, a good thing. Still, even then, we can become tempted. For then when the next thing comes up, another opportunity to do good, we have to question our motivation. Am I doing this good to receive more honor from good people? Or am I doing this to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? So it's a, it's a snare either way. The well done, good and faithful servant of Jesus' lips is worth 10,000 thunders of applause from senators and kings. It is. Honor among men is a peril to the best. So I want you just to think about this, and we can all, I want you to see, I see Joseph, and I sympathize with Joseph. I understand why he was late to the game when it came to identifying with Jesus. He was a rich man, had much to lose. He was an honorable man with considerable influence, and he knew breaking away with the Sanhedrin was going to just put a target on his back. This is a very bold move that Joseph plays here. Notice the next thing, though. So let's say he finally is going to step out and go, I'm, I'm with this guy that they just executed. Number two, let's notice the mission of Joseph. What is he, what's he set out to do? The mission of Joseph. Now, you've got to understand, and this is why this is so important, understand the context of the people who are around the cross of Jesus. So, so far, all of his men followers, where are they at? They're what? They're hiding. They will not identify with Jesus at all. I mean, think about this. Just to help you put Joseph's bold move into perspective, there was a little slave girl that questioned the apostle Peter, like, didn't I see you with Jesus? And what does he do? No, and curses her. A little slave girl put that pressure on him. And here you've got Joseph with much more to lose. But all the men followers, except probably for John, who was Jesus' best friend, is found at the cross at some point. Right? John's the only one. Everybody else is hiding. You have his mother there, Mary. You have this group of women followers. 
And then this last and unlikely convert would more than likely be the Roman centurion that's in this picture where he goes, this man must be the son of God. But even still, he's late to the game. Now here's what you have to understand. If Jesus is under criminal execution for sedition, treason, insurrection, what influence do you think this feeble group of women who are just demoralized in a patriarchal society, you think they're going to have the, even the fault of going up to Pilate, Pontius Pilate, the governor of that area, and say, we would like to have that executed criminal's body. Just doesn't happen. And here's why that's significant. If that's the case, Jesus would have done one of two things. They would have either, if, if they didn't let the, G, uh, the Jews get him, he would have either stood, just hung there on the cross until he was picked apart, or more than likely just thrown in a shallow grave nearby. All right? Now I want you to think about this. For the honorable Joseph, he just knew he could not let his Lord and Savior be treated this way. And so he comes forward with the, with the thought that maybe as a man of considerable wealth and honor, Pilate won't turn me down. What an interesting thought. So Joseph, a man of wealth and honor, steps forward and requests and receives from Pilate the lifeless body of Jesus. Joseph risked his safety and reputation to properly bury the Lord. He could have been identified as an insurrectionist with Jesus. He went against propriety and expectations. One commentator, Marcus, put it this way, showing interest in the body of a man crucified as an enemy of the state might identify the benefactor, Joseph in this case, as a member of his subversive group. See, it's not like, oh, this is so sweet, Joseph from the eyes of, of the political party, is a disciple of Jesus. They go, he's another insurrectionist. Now here's what I want you to think about. Apply this in the mindset of the mission that Joseph had and apply it to your life. If your Christian witness endangers your reputation or your security, you got to think of Joseph. Because he literally pushes that all on the table, lays it all on the lot. He knows by entering into Pilate's house to ask for Jesus' body, this could be over. This is canceling his career, in effect. It's done. But I want you to think about this. Can you name any other Sanhedrin? We know of no other Sanhedrin. We don't know their name. The only man that endured history from this period who was once an enemy of Jesus is a guy named Joseph. Isn't that interesting? And named in all four Gospels. It's worth it. It's worth it. What fetched Joseph out? What made him come and stand in solidarity with King Jesus? Is it not a remarkable thing? I want you to think about this. That the life of Christ... Think about what's all involved in the life of Jesus. His miracles. Right? Hey, Joseph knew of them. He was aware the Sanhedrin were watching Jesus. His miracles, the turning the bread into 5,000 loaves, right? Raising the dead, healing lepers, blind men. None of that, none of those miracles caused Joseph to break ties with his group. To quit his company and embrace Jesus. 
what ultimately fetches this man and draws him out as a follower of Jesus, it's the cross. It's the cross. It's the power of our crucified Christ. The shameful death of the cross has the greatest power over and over again against hard sinners than any of the beauty of Christ's life. We see his most glorious hour. And if the cross of Jesus is not enough to draw you out and fetch you to true discipleship, nothing else will. We preach Christ and him crucified. To leave out the cross is to not make true disciples. Number three, let's look at the ministry of Joseph. The ministry of Joseph. We see this courageous ministry and the personal cost he risked. He identified with Jesus when he was not related to him. Right? It wasn't Mary, it wasn't John. His request was a favor likely denied on principle that Jesus was a criminal executed for treason. His request amounted to an open confession of loyalty to the crucified Christ. And then think about his own personal cause. He goes and buries the corpse of Jesus in his own family tomb. Now burial caves, the ones that we're talking about here, these were rich men's burial plots. These were king's burial plots. Burial caves were sealed by large disc-shaped stones rolled into channels at the opening of the grave. And the reason they were sealed, they were sealed for, for three reasons. Number one, for ritual impurities. The Jews do not handle the dead, right? They have their grieving time and then lead them along. So rolling for, for these rich men to have a big stone that goes, don't go near this place, was a good thing. It also kept animals out of the caves and kept grave robbers from going and doing their business. So this was a rich man's tomb. These tombs cut from rock were more expensive to excavate and maintain than graves in the ground. They generally were family tombs, yet Joseph uses it for the Lord. Now there's two things. The reason you say, why does that matter? I mentioned this, and you can look on the first page or the second page that I gave you. I gave you just some notes to help you understand this action better. Isaiah 53, 9. This is a prophecy of the suffering servant. And again, I told you about it last week, where Jews, the Jews at the time had understood this more as a corporate prophecy of Israel coming out of Babylonian exile. The part that's so hard is there's things in this prophecy that are so specific, it's like, ah, I just can't quite fit into this. And look at what Isaiah 53, 9 says. Isaiah wrote this about the suffering servant, 700 years before the life of Jesus. It says, He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with the rich man at his death because he had done no violence and not spoken deceitfully. Do you understand how pivotal the actions of Joseph are in this text? That he is literally the fulfillment of prophecy and he didn't even know it. He is just finally being obedient to Jesus. And in being obedient to Jesus, he fulfills God's word. 
What a wonderful testimony. And you have to understand this, and you can just write this down. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, which is the kernel, the core of the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, the Old Testament. He was buried. And rose again the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I like to emphasize this. Most of the time when you hear people say, well, explain the gospel, they'll say, Christ died for sins and was raised on the third day. But if you notice this early apostolic tradition in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 5, they want to emphasize he was buried. Why is that? This is not some spiritual resurrection. They want you to see that Jesus physically died for sins, was put into a grave, and physically, bodily came out of that grave. So Joseph has this huge part to play in redemption story. Who's responsible for the grave? Who's the grave digger? Joseph. He even has a place in the gospel message. Because the burial of Jesus and how it was done was important to God's plan. Prophesied. And he fulfilled it. Now, the question becomes this. Well, what do you mean by coming out and identifying with Jesus? I see what Joseph did, but what am I to do? I don't live in Jerusalem. There's no Pontius Pilate for me to go and say this to. Well, the scriptures, they have said explicitly, explicitly how you and I identify with Jesus today. We don't have to do what Joseph did, but it has equal, if not more significance. Write this down. Here's how we pull off being this grave digger, this Joseph of Arimathea in our day. Number one, be buried with Jesus in baptism. Be buried with Jesus in baptism. I'm talking about water baptism. The washing with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, what's the significance of that? Why why is Christians, and especially Baptists, hopefully, are telling people you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. Listen to what the the Apostle Paul says about baptism and what it symbolizes. Listen to Colossians 2.12. When you were buried with him. What? (laughs) Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. If you want to participate in Jesus' salvation, it goes so far to say as this, I identify with Jesus' death and burial for my sins, and I identify by faith his resurrection from the grave for the forgiveness of my sin and eternal life. And I admit this and confess this with as much gentleness and respect as I can. If we can't accept and confess and witness to the saving work of Jesus through baptism, which is picturing our death and burial and resurrection in Christ, we are denying him before men and are not worthy to be his disciple. We're not. So yes, I lay this on you not because baptism saves you. It doesn't. Nevertheless, a true saving faith endures into baptism. It does. It is the first act in which we come out. If we never hear, I want you to just ask the question, if Joseph never comes out and identifies with his Savior, do we ever count him among the redeemed? Surely not. Surely not. 
Romans 6, 3 through 5. Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's what we're identifying with. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. This is what's so amazing. When, we, when you go and have your baptism, that is, according to God's eyes, that was your funeral. You died that day and you belonged to Jesus. And what are we doing? We're just living out that reality until this eschatological consummation when Jesus returns and goes, get up out of that grave. And his whole point, this is what's so amazing. You really expect resurrection from your physical grave if you won't identify with Jesus in baptism, in your burial. You got to die in order to what? Be raised I think none of us have should have the expectation of eternal life and resurrection without identifying with Jesus in his burial in baptism if you have never been baptized I just want to point this out why not what hinders you from taking up a decision on the Lord's side I know it may seem hard to receive the cold shoulder in society or have that finger of scorn pointed at you, but is the main goal of our life is just to live at ease. Come forward and identify with Jesus. And here's the other thing, and, and, and I think it's a reality, and I don't like to often make arguments from the silence of Scripture, but I don't think this is irrational. I think if you asked Joseph after it was all said and done, Joseph, would you have done it sooner? He would have said yes. Because think about what Joseph could have had the opportunity to do. If he comes out, I mean, we know there's other rich men that came to Jesus and was like, I want to follow you. Right? The rich young ruler, you're aware of it. And Jesus is like, all right, let's talk about the commandments. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I've done all of them, which is crazy to think about he's probably lying to Jesus right and he says well sell all and come follow me like just get rid of it don't worry about it make me the number one object and the man goes I got too many things I can't sell all that but the intention I want you to see this we we kind of say this in theology there's like your 13th disciple I mean this guy's getting the opportunity to join Jesus's apostolic band give it up join in and think about how many times these disciples, those 12 guys, got that special attention from Jesus. Right? Jesus would make public you know, teaching, and everybody would sit there and be like, I am so confused. And what would happen? We see it all the time in scriptures. The crowds would leave, the disciples were still standing there, they'd be like, Jesus, how about you dumb it down and tell us what that means? And that he did. So think about these intimate conversations that they had about life and theology. Thinking about being the first person, you know, seeing like on the ground eyewitnesses of miracles happening. In fact, Jesus giving power to disciples to go and cast out demons in his name. Joseph could have been in on all of that. Do you understand that? And what was the delay? Great riches, too much honor, 
made him overly cautious, and it's at the very end of Jesus' life in which he comes. Let's thank God that he came, but I think if you had to tell him over again, he said, I should have done it so much sooner. And I have yet to meet a Christian today who's walked with the Lord for much of their life and say, hey, do you regret coming to Jesus young or early? I've never seen one go, yeah, I do. I wish, man, I'd have waited till I was 60 or 70. You don't see that. You don't see that. If anything, the regret's the opposite way. I wish I would have listened and came forward early in my life. Joseph missed out, and I can tell you now, you're missing out too. You are. So come sooner rather than later. And if I have to show you the theology, I want you to notice this. At the end of the age, we all will identify Jesus as Lord. We either in this age of grace, we get to surrender to him now. And as a, as a, as a, a token of blessing, we're forgiven and we're recipients of eternal life. At that last day when every knee is made to bow and confess Jesus as Lord, there is no blessing in that. But Jesus will get his honor from you, from you, one way or another. He will. And then number two, I'll finish with this. Christian, you must have a secret faith. Now, you say, well, this whole sermon's about having a public faith. I don't want to overreach and say this, that all that matters is what you do for Jesus publicly. That's not the truth. It's an important part. If you deny him in the public, he'll deny you before the Father. Jesus makes that explicitly clear. But here's the thing. Some of us, we can so, quote, publicly identify with Jesus, we've been buried with him in baptism. We're the Sunday school teacher, whatever it may be. And Jesus still expects that when no one is looking, that we're still loving him, worshiping him, being faithful to his word. The church, and this is the part I'm easily condemned just along with you, but the last thing this world needs is another believer buried with baptism, and then years down the road, something comes out that their private life is an absolute mess. Jesus is Lord over that as well. And so I'm thankful that Joseph secretly was following as a disciple, as a part of the kingdom. He was, you know, walking the walk, talking the talk when no one was looking. But he also had to make it public. And that's not to say if you're doing that public, you don't go home and you do it too. Christian, you have to have a secret faith. We have, Christians have secret faith and public faith. It's both and, not either or. One without the other is not a true disciple. Listen to what Spurgeon said. The fact is that our Lord requires an open confession as well as secret faith. And if you will not render it, there is no promise of salvation for you, but a threat of being denied at last. It's both and. We live for the Lord when no one is looking, and we live for the Lord when everyone is looking. Jesus died for you. Those wounds were all for you. That bloody sweat was all for you. For you, the thirst and fever. For you, the bowing of the head and the giving up of the ghost. And can you be ashamed to own him? Will you not endure rebuke and scorn for his dear sake who bore all this for you? Now speak from your soul and say, he loved me and gave himself for me. 
Must you not love him and give yourself for him? The cross is a banner lifted on high to which all who are loyal must rally. Can you see your Lord suffering to death for you and then turn your back on him? And Joseph said, no, I can't. He came forward and avowed his faith at great cost. And I would say the same to you. Don't let another Sunday dawn until you've been buried with Jesus in baptism. Identify with him. If you're a Joseph, come forward. Your time is now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you the opportunity to pray to King Jesus. He's not dead. He is alive. You'll hear about that more next Sunday. But he is the Son of God. He lives and reigns, and he hears our thoughts and whispers. <laughs> All of God's attributes are true of Jesus. And if you're ready to confess you're a sinner, you may even be someone like Joseph, who's like, I've heard about this Jesus a really long time. I even admire him. I know he died for me, and I've just, quite frankly, never wanted to step out and, and avow myself as a Christ follower. Well, Today is the day. And if you want to call out to him, repenting and acknowledging your sin, and to confess him as Lord, Savior, and God of your life, that you'll take up that banner, will you pray this prayer? Repeat it after me quietly in your heart to Jesus. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I am a sinner and deserve your judgment. But, I believe you love me. You came down for me. You lived a perfect life. And you died on the cross for all my sin. And I believe God raised you from the dead to prove it. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I'm yours. With every head bowed and every eye closed, my encouragement to you, whether you prayed that prayer for the first time or you've said it a billion times, what ultimately matters, and all I say is this, is that that comes to fruition and to a public witness and testimony in baptism. It just does. That's the next step. And if you're sincerely repentant and you claim Christ as King and Savior and God, again, it may be costly in the world's eyes, but to see the cost of the cross is nothing for us. We just march out and avow our faith. You can, you can sign up to talk about baptism. If you want me to address, you know, call you, address it, we'll talk through it. You can fill out that tear-off panel on the back of the bulletin, check baptism. You can text BELIEVE just that word to our texting church number, you can go to our website, click on the baptism tab and fill out the form. Give me an opportunity just to explain it to you. You will not regret identifying with Christ. Never. The last thing that I want us to do in this time of reflection is just to meditate on the cross. Never lose sight of the cross this Palm Sunday as we head into Easter Sunday. This is a prayer from Peter Ansel. He says, Out of the depths of your sufferings, you have shown me the curse of my sin. And even now my vision is so poor that only your physical sufferings appear to me clear. 
For I cannot sound the depths of your spiritual agony. You have seen and know the full penalty of my sin. Out of your love for me, you did tread the winepress of sorrow alone, and your sufferings are the expressions of my sin. Let me never lose sight of the vision of the cross, and out of your pity keep your grip upon my heart until the end of this earthly life, and I shall walk the pilgrim's path in safety. Will you pray that prayer as we reflect on the cross? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us, as we mentioned in this prayer, to help us have a grip and never lose sight of the cross, that the cross is what fetches us out for salvation and lifelong discipleship. And Lord, we, we, we confess that our own hearts have been too sensitive to the breath of a faultless multitude, that we think too much and too often about what this would cause us um, cost us financially or among our peers and influence, dear God. Um, when you came down from heaven, bankrupted heaven, and bled and died on a cruel tree, that they're just not worthy to be compared. The scorn of this world or a well done and good and faithful servant, help us to seek this ladder. Lord, help us to identify with you. I pray for the person who's never been baptized, dear God, whether they're here or watching online, that they'll step forward today and avow their faith. And then, Lord, I pray that you'll remind every believer in here of their baptismal identity, that they're dead to their sins, they're dead to the world, their funeral's already been spoken over them, and that they have, they're living and committed to Christ. So help us to choose Him. We thank you for this just great example someone coming out for Christ and taking up his banner. Help us to do the same. We pray this in Jesus' strong name and all God's people say, 
Amen. All right. I got just a couple of quick things. Before we go any further, I do have one matter of business. If you guys want to go ahead and come forward, this is your time. I'll make sure it happens. Uh, the Trivets are coming forward for membership today, all right? This is Rick and Phyllis. You probably know them already. Uh, I was told to ask this. Y'all can come up here so that they can see you. They don't need to see my ugly mug. Thank you. Uh, but a couple of things. Let me go through the list. They've repented of sin and trusted Christ as their Savior, been buried with baptism. In fact, they're coming as a transfer, right, from another church, sister church, like faith and practice. Um, and then also... Uh, they've read the church covenant uh, and affirm it, and so I can, in great conscience, come and bring you forward uh, for them for church membership, all right? So we're going to take a vote now to receive them into the Mount Carmel family. All in favor, say amen. amen. Anyone opposed can do likewise. Ricky made it. Uh, so <laughs> we want to welcome them into our family. Let's give them the right hand of Christian waving because we don't, you know, anyways. Please uh, come and harass them. I was told to say this, though. Rick has lost his checkered notebook of all the amazing words I've said in sermons, all right? He also told me, though, there were drawings of me in that notebook. So if you find this notebook, <laughs> please give it back to Rick. We'll auction it off to the highest bidder, all right? Uh, but, but we welcome the trivets. Thank you guys for being a part of our Mount Carmel family. Uh, don't forget next week to uh, come out, bring lawn chairs. Now, we'll have chairs here again. If you like your lawn chair, you bring your lawn chair out, uh, and we'll, we'll worship together. We'll have communion as well. Looking forward to celebrating Easter Sunday with you. Um, and that's really, that's all that I have today. Brother Rick, will you come and lead us in one last song of worship? Oh, church, hallelujah. One day, heaven was filled with his praises. One day, when sin was as black as could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men. Our example is he living, he loved me, dying, he saved me. One day he's coming, oh glorious day. Let's stand together as we sing that one. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.